This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Welcome to Stacey on the right here on LifeSite TV. I'm Stacey Washington, your hostess with the mostest. And I'm so excited that today we get to chat with someone that I listen to the radio here locally. I listen to him pretty much every day. And I listen to and watch him. Sometimes I just turn it on and it's in the background early in the morning when I get up to start my day off on Fox and Friends. And that's Brian Kilmeade. He's the co-host of Fox and Friends, host of the Brian Kilmeade Show on Fox News Radio. And he's an author. He's written quite a few awesome things. And his latest book, Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers, actually releases in paperback form on Tuesday, May 12th. And so I'm so excited to have him on the show today. Brian, thank you for joining us. Stacey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, especially one of my favorite cities. Well, you know, we love it when you come here. It's pretty awesome when you swing through and do like little Fox News events. And this is even more important because... You've been writing these historical type books to get people interested in things that have happened in our history and relating them to the current day. So could you tell us a little bit about, first of all, when does the paperback edition come out? And then a little bit more about the book. Uh, thanks. I mean, basically, we're coming out May 12th. Uh, it's uh, coming out a couple of weeks early, but it's going to be like no other book uh, uh, release because, number one, paperback, not the same heat as a hardcover, but no one's traveling. You know, nobody's hopping on a plane. You're not going to a bunch of events, a bunch of Barnes and Nobles. I'm not coming out and visiting everyone in 97.1 uh, because there's no way to do it. So uh, the challenge would be getting the word out, and you're kind enough to have me on. And in this book, we try to add something to every paperback. And this is how Sam Houston, what Lincoln asked of Sam Houston. That's what I asked for next. Because one thing about Sam Houston, he's not the perfect person. Uh, he goes through ups and downs. He's a person that constantly evolved throughout his life, major impact player in our past. I open up in the Battle of Horseshoe Bend where he makes his name at a 21-year-old fearless officer fighting under this guy named Andrew Jackson. A major general will become president of the United States twice and look out for Sam Houston the rest of his life. What I added to the paperback is that as the Civil War is about to get started, he, was, he anticipated this happening. He did everything he could to stop it. He was governor of Texas. And he told the people of Texas, you join the Confederacy, you're going to lose. And we're going to lose hundreds of thousands of people. And they said, we're outvoting you. And he said, I quit. And that's when Lincoln comes in and reached out to him. And that's why I thought it would be a great thing to add uh, to this story, because they really did it around the Texas Revolution, uh, the Alamo Avengers, and really how the Texas history is American history. So that's what I thought. Like you found out how Texas became Texas and then how it became part of America. Then I thought, what about upgrading it right to the Civil War and how Sam Houston was right and he would die uh, really heartbroken because so many Texans had died. The Confederacy was on the run and his country was coming apart. So, and he died in 1864. So I thought I would add that to, to his remarkable story. So the and and it is remarkable. Um, the, so this is your sixth book. So you're yeah. you're you know you're, you're kind of a pro at this now. This is not your first rodeo. Um, 
how do you decide when you're when you're putting a book to, like this together? It's historical. And I know once you start digging in and diving through the information, you find so much that would be fantastic for the story. But how do you decide how you're going to hone it in and keep it to, you know, the 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 length that you want and kind of make it into something that people are going to pick up and grab onto and read the way they have with all of your books? Well, that's a great question. The biggest challenge was convincing America that it's their story, not just Texas's story. They're very prideful of being a Lone Star state. There was a reason with the slave state, free state, uh, America was not equipped to take in Texas. So uh, the the first president was President Sam Houston. He was also the first man that was ever governor of two separate states, Tennessee and uh, later on Texas. And he basically did a typical Donald Trump. And he said, hey, guys, America, you could take your time taking us, but the UK is really interested. They have a very attractive offer. They'll provide security for Mexico and Santa Ana coming back. They, re uh, they reinfigure our border. They provide us with ships to build our Navy. Unless you guys want to act. And he used that hedge to get America to finally act. But I also thought, when since all Americans fought in this war, since uh, Sam Houston's army was made up of Americans who wanted a new start after a new start, and that you know we would not be the same country without Texas, and it was an incredible victory, just like the revolution was. It makes no sense for those people who attend war colleges. They just managed to find a way. And Sam Houston was probably the only man in America that could have pulled off this victory because he had military background. He had leadership background. He had run a state. He had been in Congress. He also learned under Andrew Jackson. He, uh, he trained in peacetime, and he, he trained in wartime. And at 41 years old, he was the one with the reputation to get the respect of these guys who thought they owned the world, like Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie, uh, William Barrett Travis, and so many others who didn't want to take orders from anyone. So he was in the perfect place at the perfect time. And I look back in America, that's the same thing. We seem to have the perfect person in the perfect place at the perfect time. But it doesn't mean we're always doing things perfect. I mean, who could ever rationalize slavery? Who could think the smartest people in the world at the time that could do so much good could misconstrue um, and actually rationalize the ownership of people. And we're still paying that price today. So like Sam Houston, he drank too much, problems with relationships, um, uh, was a temper, got in a temper, beat, uh, beat a fellow lawmaker with a cane, almost, uh, you know, almost uh, beat him to death. He would be censured by Congress. And he made mistakes. He was fearless. He almost got killed four or five times. Got in a bunch of duels, like America. We eventually get it right, but he was somebody that can evolve. And when you said, why did I pick this story? I said, now, people can really relate to him. He's not as smart as Jefferson. Um, he's not as scrappy as Jackson. He doesn't have, he doesn't necessarily go on the whole of presidents, although he could have been president. Uh, and I thought people could relate to a type of guy like that more. A guy that was looked at as lazy, who kept on cutting out of school as a kid, whose family thought he was just going to be a loser the rest of his life. Uh, who made something of himself. I also think he can provide hope from a lot of people at different ages. You don't necessarily have to be connected to anybody to make it in America. We still run on that theory. Jackson and Houston uh, are, are examples of that theory. So, Brian, I, and I think you, you, you really encapsulated the answer to that question, but you mentioned President Trump, and in chapters eight and nine, it showcases why the deaths of Jim Bowie, the ultimate fighter, William Travis, who penned Victory or Death, and Davy Crockett, the plain-speaking frontiersman, were the most crushing battle, uh, crushing of the Battle of the Alamo. 
So how is the idea of an American war hero changed by their deaths? And do you think war heroes today carry the same cultural significance as these three men? I hope so. I mean, we don't have such definitive victories now. There's so much technology involved. But at least if I walk around, I know you get this, but if people know General McChrystal, they know General Petraeus, you know, they know General Mattis. Um, they know, sadly, for the wrong reason, but other people like you and I knew Mike Flynn before Mike Flynn was infamous for another reason. They knew our generals of this age. You know, we knew General Odierno. Uh, we knew Tommy Franks. So we still look up to that. I mean, you look at if you tell me if you tell me uh, that uh, you were in the uh, Bin Laden raid, a Navy SEAL, I believe you're getting any seat you want in a plane. You're not paying for a drink at a bar. I think we really respect it. But back then, what I find in Alamo so amazing, and what kids learn about in fifth grade and maybe ninth grade, you hear about the Alamo if you're not in Texas, and you go, wait, everybody got killed and we lost. Why is this special? And that was my goal to explain to everyone who didn't live in Texas why this was special. It's not, sometimes it's not whether when you lose, it's how you fight and sadly how you die defines how you'll be remembered and the type of person you were. They literally would not take an easy way out. They knew they were outnumbered, they knew they were staring at deaths and the way they fought, the relentless in way they, they fought and uh, would have prevailed if they had a little bit of reinforcement against a standing army of 3,000 perhaps, we don't know exact number, you know, against under 100 uh, Texans, Americans, they were able to withstand for 13 days. And yet they all died, but they're still remembered. If it ended differently, uh, I don't know, there wouldn't have been a cenotaph in front of the Alamo building that still exists uh, uh, over almost 200 years since the last became infamous. So I think the image of a war hero, how they're lauded, is the same. But I think it's kind of good for us to sometimes look at our history and know sometimes you don't win all the time, but you can still live in infamy. Mm. Uh, and, and so fascinating. Uh, so I'm, an, I'm a military veteran. I'm not a war hero, but I'm a military veteran. I come from a family of veterans. My husband's an Air Force veteran too. And so I, I do think there is a lot of respect for veterans among our populace, regardless of political affiliation. But it's interesting that you talk about the losses. Um, and, and you... At the book's conclusion, you talked about um, how Houston, he actually went on to serve as the sixth governor of Tennessee, the seventh governor of Texas. And that leads me to ask you about great leaders and balancing constituencies. We see President Trump, who I consider to be a great leader, really struggling to balance constituencies in America because it's not so much that people are different or have different views and ideologies. It's that there's a kind of hatred and vitriol that's directed at him simply because he's a Republican that he never had to deal with when he was in a, the business world. Before he was the president or a Republican, he was popular. His name was dropped in music videos and he was able to uh, you know, walk on both sides of the political spectrum, donate to both political parties. And really, you needed his touch. It was like a solid gold touch to make things popular, whether it was records or uh, restaurants or, or, you know, new attractions in Hollywood and Atlantic City. All he had to do was do a cameo in a movie and it would be a bestseller, a, a huge hit box office blowout. Now he's fighting the very same constituencies that used to call him a rainmaker in order to do simple things like pass legislation or take acts that normal presidents would take. How can you connect Houston's leadership ability and the bridging of those constituencies to what we see now with President Trump? I, I'm looking for some hope here, Brian. Oh yeah, well, I mean, just keep in mind too, we've always had this problem. George Washington complained about it. 
And he said, Giorgio, why don't you uh, stick around for another term? He said, well, if I stick around for another term, half the country would hate me and half the country would love me. Uh, this party politics is not something I'm for. Remember, Jefferson Adams didn't even speak. They're on opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, they didn't speak for another 15, 20 years and would never see each other again after he left the White House, but they would communicate because people had a different view of our country, federalism, uh, states' rights versus central, uh, versus central power, presidential power like Hamilton wanted it. And they were shooting each other. There was duels. So we've always had that issue. You just hope we get a time in America and where it won't be all or nothing that we're going to start saluting compromise. And I think it's possible uh, to have it happen, not until after this election, but then if Trump gets a second term especially, I think that there'll be a lot, I think there might be the best chance of that because they realize he's not going anywhere, but yet you only have him for four more years. They wanted to mobilize him, get him out. They only realized they couldn't get him out. We got to stop him. And then when they realize they don't stop him, I sense they're going to cut some deals. Uh, that That's my hope anyway. And for Trump, he's going to be 70, you know, he'll be 77 years old, 76 years old. Maybe he's going to say, hey, you know, when, I, when I'm done, I might as well have a bunch of check marks rather than a bunch of um, red ink check marks. So I think it's possible. I mean, you look at Adam Schiff. He's looking at the pandemic as an opportunity to hurt the president. And my feeling is, when I look at Ron Johnson, I don't see him as a living out there to attack Democrats. I think there's a lot of people like Senator Portman, Senator Johnson, Senator Grassley, Senator Manchin, that I hope would see the bigger picture. And maybe it's up to us. It's up to the voters to say, listen, I, my, my woman, my, the, guy that, the woman that represents me, the guy that represents me, cut a deal. I mean, I'll give you an example. Lindsey Graham walks into the, uh, and says, I have a deal with Senator Durbin where we're going to build a wall, give you $20 billion dollars if we give the DACA guys a pathway to citizenship. Now, the devil's in the details, but if that was true, I have no problem with that deal because there'd be an end and there'd be a beginning. This would be a small, uh, finite group that's already established themselves. They commit a crime. They would be ineligible. They, off, they would just have to prove that the same green card application process, no arrests, have a job, uh, uh, contribute to society. A lot of them are great people. That would have been a deal they would have cut in the first year. But in comes the Russia investigation, in comes the polarization, and the scrappiest guy in America, Donald Trump, is going to try to knock your head off, and they're going to try to chop his head off. That was a fantastic answer. I think one of the things that I want to ask you as our last question as we close out here, um, you're on, so you're on TV every morning. You're doing political analysis. You talk to the president on your show. Um, I've met him a couple of times, but you interact with him pretty regularly, him calling in and doing interviews. And there are other opportunities for you where um, you're on the radio and you're on Fox News or on your Fox Nation program, and even through your books, Touching Americans. And so I'm, I was wondering what your perspective is on our pathway forward with COVID-19. I know it doesn't have anything to do with the book specifically, but I know, oh. it, you know, there's a huge opportunity here, in my opinion. It's not all bad news. We've seen some amazing things come out of Americans as we've joined together to try to fight the pandemic. But now we're trying to find our way forward and there isn't a vaccine. There isn't an acceptable, you know, everybody's using the same protocol to treat the virus. So what do you see going forward? I see the science getting on one track big time with the vaccine, with treatments, uh, with uh, ways forward in terms of keeping people safe. We'll, they learn more about the virus in particular but we got to get back to work. 
There's got to be a pathway back to work. There's got to be discipline showed for for 330 million people. And and I think you just give business people the opportunity to save their livelihoods. It, it's about time. Enough sitting in place. You got to call to action. People say, well, it's like World War II. In World War II, they asked you to fight and replace the people that were fighting. They asked you to convert huge manufacturing opportunities into war-making opportunities to make planes and tanks. Hey, there's a catastrophe. Go wait inside. That's anti-American. I understand that might be the only tactic initially, but that can't be the only tactic now. You have a salon, show me it's safe. You have a restaurant, prove to me you can do it. You have a baseball team, show me a way to be socially conscious. And if you don't do any of those three things, I will not go to your place until we can get a therapy, until we can get a vaccine, um, until we can move forward with a further understanding about how we catch it. So right now, it's unacceptable of just sitting on the sidelines, waiting for your governor to bestow on you the power that they have in order for you to get your business going again. That's got to stop. It's an opportunity to reconfigure, to get balance in your life. I get it. Uh, the other thing is, it's also an opportunity to, uh, that a lot of people are looking at to, they're forever out of business. Uh, their livelihoods are gone. Their, their pensions have dissipated. Uh, their investment like Gold's Gym today, I see Gold's Gym just declared bankruptcy. We're hearing a lot of things about Starbucks and other things. Uh, if you're with Disney, a Disney stock, you're suffering a horrific loss. So at least give people an opportunity to save themselves. Mm, yeah, so your rallying cry is our rallying cry here in St. Louis, Brian. We're ready to open up and uh, we've got our masks. We've sewn them. We've bought them. We've gotten them by hook or by crook and we're ready to go out and uh, reopen the economy. And I'm so glad to hear you say that. That'll be a clip that I replay over and over again, hopefully for elected people here so that we can get going again. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And thank you for the latest installment of your book, Sam, Sam Houston and the Alamo Adventures. Um, how can people find the book and get their hands on it so they can maybe gift it, do some gifting with it? Yeah, if you go to briankillme.com, you can order any way you want. You could also put it to my local bookstore where I could actually personalize it for you. Um, and it comes online Tuesday, and it'll be cheaper and vendable, and it's got new material. Thanks so much, Stacey. <laughs> Appreciate it. Continue success. Thank you, Brian. Good luck with it, and I'll hear you on the radio soon. Tomorrow, uh, th thank you so much for being with us today. And that's Go the ahead. show, Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on Lifeset TV. It has been a pleasure to be with you, and we will be back at you soon. Have a fantastic day.